Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today's show is brought to you by Prep Dish. Prep Dish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. And the dietitian, who is also the chef over there, Allison, she comes up with a detailed grocery list and menu planning for the entire week. The detailed grocery list is categorized, so it's super easy to pick up your groceries or click list it up. And uh, she provides you with meals that are nutritious. She's got gluten-free, paleo, dairy-free options. And she also has snacks and desserts in there too. The dessert I'm looking at for this week is cinnamon apples with vanilla nice cream. Also, another one of the meals on the menu this week is kale and caramelized onion frittata with grapes. So let Allison do the planning for you. Let her come up with these fresh new ideas. You prep on the weekends and you have your meals for the entire week. Check out episode 118 on the podcast. Allison joined me for an episode and she was such a great guest to have on the show. And you get to hear the inspiration behind her business. So you guys go to prepdish.com slash another and use the code another for a free two week trial of their service. That's prepdish.com slash another to get two weeks for free. All right, guys, today you're listening to episode 146, and I'm talking with Scott Fobble. Scott is a 212 marathoner. He runs for Northern Arizona Elite, and he is gearing up for the New York City Marathon here in a couple weeks. So we got to talk a lot about his training for that race and what brought him to where he is in his career today. Now I'm just piling on the Northern Arizona Elite crew for the podcast, and it was really fun to chat with him and get to know him. I know you guys are going to like this episode. Hey, I don't know if you heard, if you saw me post on Instagram, uh, lindsayhine626, that's my Instagram handle if you're not already following over there, but I'm coming to New York City for the marathon. I'm really excited. I am teaming up with the New York Roadrunners and doing a live show at the Run Center there on Saturday, November 3rd. And I am interviewing world record holder in the marathon, Paula Ratcliffe. Super excited about that. You guys can get tickets for that show. It's free. And um, just go to the show notes, lindsayhine.com to get tickets for that. If you're not going to be in New York City, the following weekend, um, the next Friday, I'm going to be in New Hampshire with Sarah Canny and her Rise Run Retreat Race Weekend Meetup, and I'm doing another live show there in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. That is going to be so fun. It's going to be a different feel than the New York Roadrunners event. Um, There is a ticket fee to that charge, but it's going to be a long night, and I'm going to have a panel of guests. Katie Edwards, Jessica Goldman, and Deb Gardner will be joining me. We're going to have awesome swag bags. And it's just going to be a really fun weekend night to get your girlfriends and come join us. You guys can go to riserunretreat.com for more information there, but I will put everything for both live shows in my show notes. All right, guys, I have one more sponsor to thank before we get going with this conversation, and that is BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers online counseling and therapy with licensed therapists from wherever you are and what works for your schedule. It's convenient. And there are four communication modes, text, chat, phone, and video available on desktop, mobile web, Android, and iOS apps. This is an affordable way to talk it out with someone who, as I like to say, has no skin in the game. I can't count on my husband to serve as my therapist. That's what I always like to say. I can't count on my husband to talk me through all of the anxiety and and things going on in my head. And so bringing in an outside source is super helpful. This is an affordable service, costs 35 to $65 per week, and there is financial aid available. What I like about this is that as a busy mom, 
Uh, sometimes making the appointment and getting in the door somewhere is very challenging to schedule. And the fact that you can hop on the phone and get some professional counseling with licensed therapists is key. Their network offers broad expertise, which may not be locally available in your area. And it's easy to change counselors if needed. So you can find the one that's just right for you. It's secure and your information stays private and confidential. And I want to note, this is not a crisis line. And we've got a special offer for our listeners. Try BetterHelp free for one week and start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com slash another to get started. Thanks for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. All right, guys, let's enjoy my conversation with Scott Fobble. Well, today on the podcast, we have Scott Fobble. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have another Northern Arizona elite runner on the show. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to be here. Ben, you did the interview with Ben Rosario and he spoke very highly of you, so... Um, you know, can't wait. Yeah. Did you say, Ben, this random girl that hosts the podcast is reaching out to me? Do you know anything about her? <laughs> you talked <laughs> no, to her for I, an hour. Uh, yeah. I, uh, no, I, I saw that you guys uh, did an interview a few weeks ago. So yeah, I just mentioned that we were we were going to do an interview and he said you were great. So yeah, you guys do a really good job over there, like posting your media appearances and your interviews and engaging with everybody. And I talked about that a little bit in Ben's episode with him. Yeah, I think part of our team's like mission statement is to share every part of the journey. And I think, uh, we as a group do a very good job of that. Um, and I think that's great. Not only so that we can maximize our, like the return on investment of our sponsors, you know, Hoka One One is, uh, has been great. Um, and we want to do a very good job promoting them and, um, being good brand ambassadors for them. But I think it's also good, uh, to kind of, um, I guess, demystify the elite side of the sport. Yeah. I think it's pretty easy to kind of see some of these elite groups as like kind of being different in some way. But really, uh, we as athletes are not that different than the three-hour marathoner or a four-hour marathoner or someone who's just trying to get to Boston or whatever. We just happen to get paid for it. But all the same principles still apply and we still go through – uh, very much the same journey and struggles and triumphs. And uh, it's been great to share all that because we're lucky in running to have, in general, an overwhelmingly positive uh, fan base. Yeah. And you guys do make it, you make yourselves reachable. You make yourselves not, so it doesn't feel like you guys are untouchable just because you're running at the elite level. And that's really nice. Yeah. Thanks. <clears throat> it's It's nice to like get to meet fans and interact with them on the internet. So uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's our pleasure. Absolutely. The internet has opened a whole, a whole other world for us. It's, it's interesting to think back to even 10 years ago, just spectating and, and being a fan of the sport was just so different because you just, the interaction just wasn't there. It just couldn't be because people weren't on Instagram and weren't on Twitter. Yeah. And I think that there are certainly pioneers of kind of doing the same thing that we're doing now back then. Uh, for example, my agent, Josh Cox was, um, you know, a great self promoter, but certainly the, uh, mechanisms for, um, easily sharing what you're doing and sharing the journey, uh, like Instagram and Twitter have are a relatively recent, recent invention. And we've certainly tried to take advantage of that. What, what do you, what was, so first of all, let me just say this to everybody. Josh is amazing. I, that. <sighs> Before we got on, when I was telling you the interview I lost, it was with Des Linden, and I had been 
honestly harassing him. Like I had sent him like <laughs> 20 emails since Boston trying to get an interview with her. And then I finally got it. We finally recorded and I freaking didn't record it right. And <laughs> I thought, you know what? This is a lost cause. Like she's gearing up for New York. She, you know, it was nice enough to give me her time. But I was like, I'm going to go ahead and reach out anyway and just hope that he doesn't hate me. And I reached out again and he was so gracious and so kind and we are rescheduling. So talk about someone who is, he's like a middleman in the sport now, you know, like he's your agent, he's her agent. What was he doing though? Um, back in the day when you said he was a pioneer? Well, he was, um, you know, a very good marathoner in his own right. Uh, I think he ran two two thirteen or two fourteen, and he's the U S 50 K, um, record holder. Um, but he was a very early adopter of like workout videos. So if you go on YouTube, you can certainly find like videos of him like crushing out in Mammoth uh, when he was sponsored by, you know, various people. Um, and I think he was one of the first people who really proved that uh, you could be a really good brand ambassador without necessarily being like the very, very, very tip of the spear. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I mean, he did a lot for his sponsors. He was always going to expos and, uh, you know, just doing everything he could to promote them, um, maybe at the expense of um, some of his own times, which I think he'll readily admit that uh, had he maybe pulled back on the sponsors, he might have run a little bit faster. But, um, uh, but yeah, he, I think he was just a pioneer in seeing the value and having a bunch of sponsors and doing, working really, really hard to maximize their investment in you. Yeah, that's important. Okay, so Scott, let's, for those listening who might not know much about you, um, I want to get into a little meatier stuff with you um, beyond running, but I, I want to just give everybody a rundown of your career and life. And man, you're pretty young. Are you like 24? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm 26. I'll be 27 uh, soon here. Okay, I was just looking down um, your timeline of when you started with Northern Arizona Elite, and I'm like, man, he graduated college like yesterday. I mean, I guess it wasn't, (laughs) but it made me feel old. So give us a rundown. When you started running high school to college to where you are now. Yeah, I started running. I don't know if it was the summer before or the summer after fifth grade, but in elementary school, um, just through like a really low-key youth like track program in my hometown in Colorado in Golden. Um, and then found out that I was pretty good pretty early. I had a pretty high like baseline. So, um, you know, I think I ran like 526 for the mile at altitude, like in sixth grade or something like that. Went to like ju- the junior Olympics. So we were doing it pretty hard even before like um, high school. I mean, not necessarily the training really hard, but we were my, myself and my parents and my family were pretty committed to athletics and running in specific, in particular, um, even before high school. Um, and then, uh, in high school, I was lucky to have a coach who, um, didn't necessarily like sacrifice future performances for the sake of like immediate performance. So, um, we were doing pretty good workouts and I was getting in good training in terms of like, the technical nuts and bolts of it, but I was definitely, uh, he definitely held me back so that I wasn't like burning out by the time I even got to college. Um, That's a gift. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was very, very lucky to, um, have access to such a good 
coach and a good man as well. He's a very good person and someone that I still uh, enjoy spending time with when I get to go home. So then in high school, I won a couple state titles, uh, was 17th at Foot Locker um, my senior year, and then went to the University of Portland after that, where I had some ups and downs. Um, I was certainly had some very good seasons. Uh, and then in between, I had some mediocre or even some poor ones. Um, but was able to string together two-ish really good years at the end of my career at UP. And, um, you know, All-American, I was lucky enough to have a really good team. We were finished third in NCAAs my fifth year and um, made it to nationals on the track my fifth year uh, in the 10K. But uh, I broke my fifth metatarsal um, at regionals, which is the meet that you run to get to nationals. And uh, still tried to run nationals, made it about nine laps on a broken foot. And then uh, I was getting dropped and it wasn't feeling good. Um, so pulled the plug on that. And uh, I'd already been <clears throat> talking to Ben at that point, Ben Rosario, about coming out to NAZ Elite. Um, I took a visit and he offered me a spot on the team and I moved out to Flagstaff not long after that. Uh, I think it was like late August or early September of 2015. Um, and then, so I've been on Northern Arizona elite for, uh, the last three years. Um, a few of the highlights from that time, uh, ran 28 minutes in the 10 K on the track, uh, was fourth at the Olympic trials, um, made it to the world championships in cross country, uh, when they were in Uganda in 2017. And then last fall I ran, uh, 2:12:35 for my debut marathon, um, which is the 12th fastest ever debut by an American. So um, we've had a good, good last three years. Very consistent training and um, some really good performances. That's awesome. Yeah, your 2:12 marathon debut. That's that's huge. And you're you're running New York this fall, right? Yeah, I've got. Uh, three weeks from tomorrow. Woo. Every time I, I always get nervous when, when you elites get close to your marathons, I'm like, no injuries, no injuries. And I knew when we booked this, that you were still running. So I want to make sure, okay, you're still running. Um, and you, you paced your friend, your teammate, uh, is Eric Braun? Aaron. Aaron Braun. You paced Aaron Braun at Chicago and he'd had a really good race. How, what was that experience like? Is that your first time pacing in a marathon? Yeah. Um, that was a really, a really fun and pretty special experience. Uh, this isn't like a sport like say football or basketball where you can really, uh, be like a team player. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we work out together and we train together, uh, whenever it works out. Um, and we spend a lot of time together. Uh, but it's hard to do something, um, for one of your teammates in a really big and meaningful way, like pacing and pacing them in a marathon. So, um, I was very, very, uh, excited about the prospect of going to Chicago and helping Bronny for as long as we could. And I was, you know, I did not feel good in the, in Chicago. I just, really? I felt, yeah, it was the end of a big week and, um, my legs felt really heavy and I, I really wanted to stop at like 10 or 12 miles, but, um, I knew we had gone out there to pace Bronny and I knew that it would mean a lot to him if I, uh, pressed on a little bit farther. And, um, I kind of just focused on 
trying to help Bronny as much as I could and uh, not focused on not focus on like how bad my legs felt. So so you got to um, through mile 13 with him. Is that what the plan was? No, we took him almost 18 miles, Scott Smith and I. Okay, so, so 17.7 miles or something like that. And so was that, I mean, you're obviously you considered that like one of your last big, huge push uh, workouts before the marathon. Is that kind of your train of thought as well? Yeah, yeah. It's not like we, um, we like sacrificed any training for New York um, by going to Chicago and pacing. Um, but uh, so, yeah, we were going to do a similar workout anyways. Um, but it was nice to have that workout really contribute to Bronny in a big way. And, um, it was kind of funny, like usually those long steady states, which we normally do on Lake Mary road, um, they feel like these big ordeals, you know, like laser focus and you sometimes get nervous for them and, um, they feel super important and going to Chicago, I didn't really like feel that so much, you know, we just kind of went out there and. Um, we're there to help Bronny, and then all of a sudden our biggest workout of the segment was just over um, and we were past it so uh, mentally it was nice to kind of like make it about someone else and not uh, make it feel like a be-all end-all day you know what I mean yeah more fun too to be in the midst of the Chicago marathon definitely yeah the <laughs> atmosphere was the atmosphere was much uh, much better than the lonely Lake Mary Road so who decides like how did you decide New York and then he he ran Chicago um, how did those decisions get made? Why made? Why'd you choose New York? I chose New York because I felt like it was a good opportunity to, um, really like race a marathon. Um, last year in Frankfurt, we were really locked in on trying to hit a fast time. So the place that we ran, the place we finished at Frankfurt wasn't all that important. Um, to us, what was more important was the time and, uh, that was good. I mean, that was important. I'm very proud of that time. But the thing I've really done well over the course of my career is race, you know, in situations where time isn't necessarily like a huge factor. I've, I tend to do much better, um, in when I just focus on being the guys around me and doing the best that I can on the day, despite maybe bad circumstances or, um, a hard course or whatever it may be. Um, and so we wanted to take advantage of that by going to New York, um, where that really will be the, the situation, you know, it might be bad weather, you know, the course isn't particularly fast, although people have run fast on it. Um, and it's really going to be just about racing, um, not necessarily about time or pace or rhythm. It'll be just about hanging with the group and trying to run up front and being really tough at the end, which are all things that I think I'm, uh, pretty good at. So that was kind of our thought process behind choosing New York. Who are some of your other um, American male competitors that are kind of in that 212 range that you're going to be um, likely running with? At New York, uh, we'll have Shadrach Biwat, who oh, has run yeah. really well. Yeah, I've had him on the show. Uh, he's great. Yeah, he's awesome. He's the man. Um, he's run well at New York and at, at Boston, but I think his PR is right in that same group, mm -hmm. same range, 212. 212 yeah. Um, my teammate, Scott Smith, obviously, uh, will be running as well. And he has run 212 mid, just like me, a little bit faster, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> uh, but Jared Ward will be out there. Chris Derrick, um, Bernard Legat will be making his debut. And um, I'm sure there are others who I'm uh, spacing on right now. But um, there'll be a good American contingent. And uh, the way the race plays out, 
um, generally even a lot of the Africans uh, who have run in the 205 or 206 range won't necessarily do that on Mm -hmm. the day. So hopefully Mm -hmm. we'll have a big group together for like a long period of time. Yeah. Do you see that as an advantage in New York? Just, you know, like those, the Africans and the people that run those super fast times, like they're going to be on a course like Chicago and for a 212 guy, not that you're going to be that for long. I think you're going to (laughs) be more 210 guy soon, right? Um, Thank you. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, But do you, do you see people tending to choose a marathon New York, like New York over Chicago for the place wise for that reason? Yeah. The speed Definitely. Thing. I mean, yeah, I think uh, Chicago is certainly having been out there and um, seen most of the course, like all things being equal, uh, Chicago's course is faster. Mm-hmm. If you're equally fit and get an equally good day weather wise, you should run much faster in Chicago. I don't know exactly what that conversion would be, but um so that's kind of one of the draws of going to Chicago, the opportunity to run like a really good time, maybe even like a lifetime PR. Mm-hmm. Um, while at New York, it's certainly like possible to run, run fast, but there are more reasons, more uh, obstacles to running like a really fast time. Um, the course is harder. Uh, you're more likely to have like adverse conditions in terms of like wind or rain or cold weather. Um, and then due to the tactical nature of it as well, uh, there's, you know, there's surging and then you have slow periods and then, um, maybe you take off the group takes off for a little while. And, uh, the focus sort of switches from just getting in locked into a certain rhythm and hammering away and trying to run as fast as possible to more of a, um, more of a tactical sort of race where you're really focused on trying to finish as high as possible as opposed to as fast as possible. What do you think it is with the 212? It seems like there's a lot of you guys kind of like, I mean, you've only ran one marathon. So let's yeah. just, you know, that's your debut time, which is crazy. But um, it seems like even a lot of guys that are going to be um, in contingent to, you know, make the Olympic team are right in that 212 range. We also have Tim Ritchie um, in that group. So what, Definitely. what is that number like and and how do you become like the 208 guy you know well i mean you know 212 is is hard i think uh in terms of like the actual uh components of a marathon particularly when you only get like a couple shots a year yeah and you know if you're even if you're like quote unquote a full-time marathoner you're probably only running two a year mm-hmm. maybe you get bad conditions in one of them maybe you're not going to like the fastest course maybe you're doing a new york or a boston where um the time is a little bit less relevant uh so all those things kind of obviously dilute the number of 208s or 209s that you see out of americans mm-hmm. um and then also i think uh in terms of american marathoning in addition to uh in addition to the fact that the financial opportunities are more aligned with races like New York and Boston where time isn't mm-hmm. super important. Uh, I think Americans for good reason, um, are often like pretty risk averse in terms of the marathon. You just don't really see big slews of Americans going out in one Oh three and hanging on like mm-hmm. you might see out of, uh, 
the East African contingent and the Japanese contingent. Um, and all those countries have, you know, obviously phenomenal top 10 performances every year. Um, a lot of two Oh fives and two Oh sixes and two Oh sevens out of the East Africans. And, um, at this point, same with the Japanese, they've been absolutely crushing in the last, um, you know, year, year, particularly since Tokyo, they've had their, uh, national record broken twice, but for many years before that, um, and I think part of that is just the willingness to go out really fast mm-hmm. um, and the uh, acknowledgement that it might not work. You, like, you might blow up, but if you do that enough times, at some point it will work and you will have a lifetime PR of like 207 or 208. Um, so I think those are kind of the factors maybe that are working against Americans. Yeah, um, yeah. I, also, I also think we have a fewer proportion of our like total talent pool running marathons because there is a living to be made on the track. There is a living to be made on shorter road races. Um, and I think our, our talent is pool is just a little more spread across each distance as opposed to, um, so focused on the marathon, like maybe the Japanese or, uh, the East African countries in some situations. Um, Who's who's a 10K guy or like a 5K guy or someone on the track that you think would be a good marathoner? Um, you know, I I think there are lots of guys that could be great marathoners. Uh, we've got guys like um, guys like Lenny Career, who's run under an hour for a half marathon. I don't see any reason why he couldn't be a world-class marathoner. He's an American? Um, he is, yeah. He runs for the U.S. Army. Okay. Um, Hassan Mead, you know, he's run in the low 27s. Uh, he could certainly be a world-class marathoner. And then to be fair, there are also guys who have moved up to the marathon or marathon. Um, but it hasn't necessarily totally clicked yet. Who Mm -hmm. certainly I think could be, uh, two, 10 guys at some point in their career. Um, I consider myself in that group, hopefully even faster than two ten. but, um, you know, two ten or myself, uh, Chris Derrick, I think is certainly in that group. Um, Luke Piscedra, I think, you know, I'm, I know he's had a rough last few years, but he is a great runner as well. Uh, Ryan Vale, you know, we've got a lot of guys who have run in the two tens or have the potential to run in the two tens. Um, but maybe those really time-based opportunities haven't made sense for them at, at this point in their career. Do you ever want to run Boston? I do. Yeah. I think I was lucky enough to go out there, uh, this last year and run the BAA 5k, which is like a few days before. Yeah. Okay. How'd you do? And, um, I did all right. I was seventh, uh, ran 1350. Um, Oh, and that's your PR now, huh? It is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's my PR. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think it's a great event. I got to see the first 18 miles of the course on my long run that weekend. And, um, you know, I was happy you out. weren't running it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I would love to go out there and yeah, I'd love to go out there and compete. Um, and I don't know when that will necessarily be, but I'm sure that I will run Boston at some point in my career. And I think it'll be a great experience. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting to think about because like we touched on at the very beginning of our conversation, you're 26, like you have so many years to do so many great things. <laughs> um, so that's exciting. I mean, you, you've only ran your first marathon now, um, I'm assuming that you have hopes to, um, compete for a spot on the Olympic team. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I was being fourth at the 2016 Olympic trials and the 10 K, um, you know, that was pretty rough at the time. Yeah. It would have been really great to be on that team. But, uh, one of the great things about running is you always get another shot. Yeah. Um, so line up again in February of 2020 and, you know, give it my best. And if it's good enough, it's good enough. And if it's not, uh, so be it, but you know, I'll be there. Yeah. You, you say you got, you mentioned you got fourth at the 10 K at the trials. Um, tell everybody, you know, for that person that, you know, just tried to break three hours in the marathon and ran a three hour and 16 second marathon, or, you know, someone <laughs> who just had like a, I just missed out, uh, experience. How did you move on from that and kind of like process that into just starting to jump into bigger, greater things? Um, I think that certainly did like light a fire under my ass for a little while, maybe like the rest of that summer. But at some point, like you have to put those kind of performances behind you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer that when I'm at my best is when I'm, uh, completely engulfed in the present moment. And, um, I think when I turn my full attention to whatever I'm doing currently, uh, there's not really room to be focusing on or thinking about, past victories or past failures. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like I'm still getting fourth. That's not like a reoccurring experience. It happened once and that sucked at the time. And I, I poured my like entire self into that race and it wasn't good enough on that day. Um, but that's over. And now I have other opportunities to do the best that I can in in other races. So, um, I don't know. It's not something I dwell on. I don't really feel like uh, that would be particularly helpful for me. Yeah. Well, that brings me to the blog post that we had talked about. And I loved this post so much. I can't read it verbatim because it's too long. But <laughs> yeah, um, you talked about, you know, how you took some time off recently. And I mean, it was like two and a half weeks. Is that is two and a half weeks? Is that like a really long time to not run as an elite runner? I think for some people, yes. For us, it was like a pretty normal break. Okay. And puts a pretty, uh, a pretty big premium on, you know, recovering for, from a segment and recharging the batteries before we go again. Um, so it was a pretty standard break, but, but yeah, I mean, two and a half weeks does feel kind of like a long time when you do something so regularly, yeah. just not doing it for so long is, does feel weird. Well, I want everybody to go read the post because I thought it was really good for a lot of reasons. And, um, one of the things you talk about is how it's important to feel big and strong, you know, when you've prepared and you've worked really hard. Like, for instance, when you stand on the start line of New York here in a few weeks. Um, but then in the end, at some point, like, does it all really matter? And so you kind of in that post talk about it's good to feel small and it's good to feel big. Can you explain explain what you meant there with, all, with those, those sentiments? Yeah, definitely. I kind of, um, I, I believe that, like, running in particular is something that is worthy of like our full energy you know it's it's okay to like try as hard as you can and pour your entire self into something but at the end of the day like it's all pretty pointless like I know that we we don't like to necessarily say that because we like to feel big and important and um like what we're doing really matters and it, you know, it does. And it's, it's good to feel that way. Um, I know that I personally feel like 
the most like I have a purpose when I'm training really hard or when I'm doing a really hard workout or when I'm racing, like that really does feel like my purpose in a lot of ways. But at the same time, like when I ran 212 last year, that was a great performance and that was a great day. But like, had I run 210 or 217, nothing would have really changed in my life. Like I might be getting paid more or I might be getting paid less. Um, but, uh, my girlfriend would still love me. Like Mm -hmm. my dog would still care about me. Like my parents would still love me. I would still love running. The world would still go on whether I ran great or whether I ran terribly. It's not like I changed the course of history (laughs) when I was (laughs) by running 212, you know, and I think that's an important thing to consider. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you shouldn't try or you shouldn't, um, care very, very much, or you shouldn't pour your entire like soul into any endeavor, no matter what the endeavor is. But I, I do think it's important to acknowledge that like, uh, like this is a privilege and it's not necessarily like the be all end all of the entire world. It's just an opportunity to do the best you can in a moment that you're given. And after that, you can just be okay with that, whatever it is. Um, and yeah, I think it's, that's something I've been thinking a lot about recently. Like training so hard for this this marathon like I'm very tired mm-hmm. um during the day and stuff but like my dog doesn't know that you know <laughs> it's not like I can explain to him like I'm sorry dude like I can't take you out today we can't go go play ball I'm too tired um he doesn't know or care how I'm feeling like it's important to put I think it's kind of helped me have a little bit of perspective when I put another um not person but a like his needs in front of what I might want to do at any exact moment. You know, it's a nice distraction to remember that like other things are going on in the world. Yeah. I, um, when I lost those interviews last week that I was telling you about, (laughs) I have, um, four little kids and, um, they were all falling apart. And I was like, right when I figured out that I'd lost it. And I, it's kind of the same thing like you were talking about with your dog. It was like, man, I really want to be upset about losing these interviews right now. But like, I can't even like process that and have the energy for it because like, I have to feed you lunch, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like if feeding my children is actually like way more important than losing those interviews that I worked so hard for. But um, it, it's kind of hard to car- compartmentalize those things sometimes, you know, mm-hmm, definitely. How do you do that? Because I mean, you can't, you know, when you get to the start line of New York in three weeks, like you can't sit there and say this is unimportant and, you know, it's okay to feel small sometimes because you got to get up there and say like, this is really important. I've worked so hard for this and I'm going to just like pour it all out here. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think you can acknowledge the pointlessness of it. Like Mm -hmm. during the, like the actual endeavor, no matter what it is, like the fact that this is ultimately like not world changing mm-hmm. means that you're free to take big risks you're free to like take big swings and if it doesn't work out oh well it yeah. didn't work out you know the world's not going to fall apart i love that um yeah i think that's fine to acknowledge like even at the biggest races in the world like one of the best lessons i've ever learned about running came from a race where i took a big risk and it didn't work back in 2016 i i was lucky enough to go to scotland to race a cross country race there called the great Edinburgh cross country challenge. And I was racing against Mo Farah, uh, who, you know, is 
one of the greatest runners of our generation, if not the greatest runner. And uh, I was racing against him and another very, very good American cross-country runner named Gary Heath. And I had like really had some rough Ks towards the end of the race. And I had really been struggling to stay in the lead pack. But I found myself there with 1K to go. And there were like seven guys left. And I just thought to myself, like, you know what? I'm just going to make a move. I'm just going to sprint as hard as I can for 400 meters. That's the only way that I'm have even a tiny chance to win this race. Cause I'm not going to outkick any of these guys. And so I just went to the front and hammered as hard as I could. And it absolutely did not work. Mm. Like I got caught by Garrett within just seconds of making that move. And then Mo came right past me immediately after that. And it was like, that move was like, it was scary and it was a big risk and it, um, hurt a lot, but when it didn't work, like the world didn't fall apart. Like I just, I got third instead of first. That's all that happened. That was the only difference between the race. So, um, and third instead of seventh too. <laughs> yeah. Third instead of seventh. Yeah. And so it was like, Oh, like this isn't, <laughs> this isn't like a life changing endeavor in a lot of ways. Like I can go and try really hard and the process can be important and not necessarily the uh, outcomes. Hey everybody, I want to take a break real quick and thank a sponsor for this episode and that is Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic makes drinking mushrooms, yep, drinking mushrooms, delicious and easy to do with their wide variety of superfood and super good for you beverages. From mushroom coffees to matchas to hot cacao and multiple mushroom blends, they have it all. I'm a big fan of the elixirs. The lion's mane elixir and the chaga elixir are two of my favorites. They also have these awesome superfood blends that we put in our morning juice and smoothies, and they are full of all the good stuff. And you don't even taste anything different with your juice or smoothie. You're just getting the added benefit of the healthy, nutritious blends. You guys can get 15% off your next order if you go to foursigmatic.com another and use the code another. That's foursigmatic.com another and use the code another. All right, guys, links to that will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. Let's get back to my conversation with Scott Fobble. Well, and, and in talking about that, you mentioned to me that you've um, struggled with an anxiety disorder. And I want to talk about that, too, because I think that when we have uh, mental health things going on or physical health things going on, that really puts, puts it into perspective as well. So tell us about tell us about that and when you decided like it was time to get help and what that process looked like. Yeah, uh, in college, I had I had anxiety for m- most of my time as a student, but it was generally connected to something. So, like, it was I was probably having more anxiety than was necessary or warranted surrounding like pa- big papers or um, tests or finals or whatever. But if I could just get through those things, then it would go away. And that was kind of until the like kind of winter of tw- my senior year, my fourth year, um, when I started having like, uh, really, really strong anxiety concerning things that were like entirely irrational. Like I would get the, this like really, really bad, uh, like physical pains in my finger. Anytime I would pass this one big wooden door in our locker room, hmm. um, I would just have these like almost delusions about like, accidentally slamming my door my finger in this door which is ridiculous like I was never going to put my finger in between the door and the the um hinge you know that just was not something that was going to happen it had never happened 
Um, but I was having these like very, very strong feelings about it. Um, and then I was having like the same sort of feelings that were kept me up almost the entirety of three consecutive nights, um, about this bank account that I had closed. And I was really, really worried that maybe like I didn't close it or there was a banking error and I was just incurring all these fees. Um, and even after like going to the bank, like personally and asking if I had an account and doing anything like a reasonable person would do to make sure that I didn't have an account with them and these anxieties weren't warranted. I was still having these feelings. And after like three nights of really not sleeping, despite like my best efforts, you know, like I, one of the nights, you know, I took a couple Benadryl and that didn't work. Like the next night I, um, like I had a couple beers and took an Advil PM and that didn't knock me out. I was just up ruminating about this like bank account. I knew like, I could not not sleep again. It was too, like, it was too worrying and it was too kind of consuming. Um, and I knew I had to go to the mental health uh, center at University of Portland. And even though, like, I was a psychology major and um, knew the prevalence of, like, mental health stuff, which is really high, like, mm-hmm. at any one study found that, like, uh, at some point in your life or in, people's lives there's a 75 percent chance that at one point they will meet anybody any person you pull off the street will have meet the criteria for some mental health disorder so like three out of four people Mm -hmm. uh will at some point meet the criteria for some sort of mental health disorder and i knew that in my head like i knew that that was the thing i knew that most people suffered from mental health issues in some way and it was still really hard and like kind of embarrassing and shameful almost to go to not not shameful in terms of the way I felt like other people would see me but kind of the way I saw myself it was really hard to go to the mental health center and make an appointment and see um like a professional uh which is really kind of counterintuitive if you think about mental health as like a physical ailment because like if my ankle was hurting I would have gone and saw the athletic trainers at UP within minutes mm-hmm. of my ankle hurting, but it took me three consecutive nights of not sleeping and like trips to the bank and like, you know, I mean like 72 hours, 72 rough, rough hours of, uh, anxiety to, uh, to go and even just like consider making an appointment, um, with someone. And, uh, I am so glad that I finally like made myself go do it because like going to see someone and opening up a line of communication, uh, has improved my life just dramatically, not just in the sense that like it made it normal for me to feel like I could talk about issues that I was having, but also like the strategies that I, I was able to come up with, with the help of this therapist, these therapists, uh, to deal with the emotions when they came up a second time so that they didn't become these, big, huge, scary problems. Like I can't recommend, uh, therapy any more highly than I, yeah, I I can't recommend it more highly. Yeah. And I mean, you're right. You know, you said you felt shameful, not about what other people would think, but what, what you felt, you know, perceived yourself of yourself. And, and I, I see it too. I mean, like I can, I can feel times when I've had anxiety issues and, and I think, Oh, but my life is so good and everything's so great. Like, why do I need to go? You know, like I'm, I don't need to go. I don't need to go. They don't need to waste their time on me. And, but really like, if you have an issue, like you got to go. And, um, what are you still, 
Are you still seeing someone or is that you're using the tactics you learned when you were at school or what does that look like in your life now? I still have anxiety and I probably feel anxiety on a daily basis, but I, I feel like I'm on top of it mm. more. I do. I meditate uh, every day, sometimes twice a day. Um, I'm big into mindfulness and um, practices to bring me into the present moment. Um, and I think that has helped a lot because one of the things that I think was a big driver of my anxiety was was like worrying about things that I couldn't necessarily do anything about. Mm-hmm. And I think having established like a meditation practice uh, has helped me realize like that sometimes when you have anxiety, the anxiety isn't like, what are you going to do with that anxiety? Like sometimes it's it's good and normal to have anxiety. Like if you didn't have stress in your life, you wouldn't really get things done. Like mm-hmm. if it was like, oh, you know, whatever, like it'll be fine. is isn't really a driving force for being productive. But um, I think being able to distinguish between productive and unproductive anxiety and also being able to acknowledge that like my anxiety isn't necessarily connected to anything and it's not necessarily rational and it's not, it's not, doesn't feel as all consuming now. There's like a lot of techniques that have kind of taught me like I might be feeling like really, really bad anxiety in my chest, but it's really just in my chest. And if I actually like take the time to focus on these negative feelings, I can get, I can like kind of see myself as like a global being and realize that it's really not as bad as I'm making it out to be if I actually take the time to really feel the sensations and be be present with them. So I think the the meditation has been my biggest my biggest tool in dealing with anxiety at this point. Yeah, and I have to just I I say this right now when everybody's listening, but I um I s- sort of had like a minor panic attack last night in the middle of the night and I I mean, it lasted like probably 15 minutes and then I just like started taking these deep breaths and I don't know if what I was doing would be considered meditation, um, but it was the the deep breathing is like, that's what, that's what got me back into like a uh, sound mind, you know? Totally. Yeah. And I think one of my like initial barriers to starting a meditation practice was like this idea that this is some like religious mm-hmm. um, or spiritual thing, and it certainly can be. And I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't, or you know, it doesn't have to be, but um, or that it has to be. But really, at its most simple, um, in its most simple form, like meditation is the secular act of bringing your attention to the present moment. Um, and there are a lot of ways to meditate, whether it's walking in the woods or sitting down in a chair or, um, and just focusing on your breath or whether, whatever it is, whether you just like sit on a bench and look at a aspen tree, that's can be meditation. And, um, yeah, I think between meditation and like actually going in for talk therapy, my life is immeasurably better than had I not started either of those practices. And like, I commend you for mentioning that you had a panic attack last night because it would be easy to pretend like, none of us had all these shitty feelings, but like, that's what made it so hard to go in in the first place is because, because it didn't feel like a normal thing. It felt like, felt like something, uh, that was just me. And maybe like it was a dysfunction, but, um, it wasn't a dysfunction. It was just a normal part of life. Like I had anxiety. That's part of being a human. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I, I deal with this, um, 
postpartum after every baby. I'm eight weeks postpartum right now. So I'm still sort of fresh. And, um, you know, I think it's easy for people to probably look at me and think, oh, she's still running her podcast and putting out episodes every Friday. And, and, uh, you know, Scott's running New York City Marathon in three weeks. Like they got, they got it all together. They feel great. Um, so I think it's important to talk about it because, Though I feel fine right now in this conversation with you, that doesn't mean in six hours I'm going to feel the exact same way. And to be talking about the coping mechanisms is so important because somebody else might be going through it and not realizing that they need to, you know, try these things. Like try try the meditation, try going to see someone and talking about it. Um, So I'm glad that you brought it up too. And, um, you know, we're two very different people talking about the same thing. Um, So it just proves that, you know, no matter where you are in your life, it, it could happen to you. It, you could ha- have those feelings too. Totally. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, let's go somewhere a little bit more light and then we'll wrap up with our end of the podcast questions. Okay. Um, I'm going to have people reaching out to me like, Lindsay, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, so New York, we talked about that quite a bit. Um, by the way, I'm going to be in New York. So I'm really excited that I can get to cheer for you this year. Awesome. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Really pumped about that. Are you want like, so we're three weeks. So you got one more week before your taper. What's that look like? Yeah. I've got realistically like three pretty hard sessions left before, before the taper. So tomorrow I've got a 26 mile run with, yeah. So 20 miles easy and then four miles of marathon effort and then a two mile cool down. Um, and then next Wednesday I have like kind of a, a cut down workout. So we're doing like a three mile tempo where each mile in the tempo gets faster and then 1600, 1200, 800, 400, and then, um, another three mile tempo where each mile gets faster. So that one will be hard, but it'll be good to work on the pace change and kind of the, the lack of rhythm, uh, going into New York and then, the last really big session two weeks out for us will be two by six miles. And, uh, in the past that's been like steady, same pace the whole way through, but this time we are, um, going to be alternating between five minutes and five fifteen pace up here in Flagstaff, which is, uh, it's going to be hard. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, are, is stu- I know stuff's running, uh, New York. Are any of the yep. other ladies running New York? Um, Alephine, our, my, our teammate Alephine Tillumuk, uh, was planning on it, but unfortunately she had a couple like little injury hiccups in August and September and couldn't get in the training. So, um, she is, uh, working super hard right now to get back, um, and get whatever see or like get in sort of start a new season. And I'm sure whenever she gets back out there racing, she'll start crushing it. But, um, yeah, so it'll be me and Scott Smith on the men's side and then uh, Steph Bruce on the women's side. Now, will Coach Ben, will he come out for the race? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he is coming out um, as is his wife and daughter. Addison oh, and Jen will come out as well, yeah. Oh, that's going to be so exciting. Yeah, it'll be great. It's, um, you know, I, Ben came out to Frankfurt last year um, and it's, you know, it's super fun to have him out there. He's always a really positive guy and... Um, He's a fun guy to go out to beers with for beers with after the race, whether it's uh, good or bad. You know, it, he'll, <laughs> he'll be a, he'll be a good time. What's your favorite kind of beer? Um, I like uh, blonde ales or or amber ales or wheat beers are kind of my 
style. I like the ales, but not like the super hoppy IPAs. I like something a little bit smoother. And I was going to bring this up earlier when you mentioned her, but where'd you meet your girlfriend and um, what does she do? Um, I met my girlfriend in uh, Portland when I was, she's from there originally. And uh, she was back working in Portland uh, at the Portland Running Company at the time for, or after she had graduated from Santa Clara. Um, So we met in Portland the summer before my fifth year and um, dated in Portland that whole year. I moved out to Flagstaff and she um, followed not too long after. And uh, actually recently she moved back to Portland to study physical therapy at Pacific University. So I'm super proud of her for studying or for, you know, following her dreams and being really like dedicated. She's working super hard right now. So uh, it's a bummer not to be like with her all the time right now, but um, I'll get to go up to Portland after New York for five weeks or so and hang out with her and um, just to support her now that she's doing something that's like kind of all time consuming, just like, uh, you know, while I'm on my break. So, yeah. yeah. Will she be at the race? She will. Um, she's taking a red eye in Friday and then flying out Sunday night. So unfortunately she won't be, uh, there for like quite all the, um, celebration afterwards, yeah. but, um, but yeah, she'll be out there for in New York for the weekend. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Now we talked about feeling big and strong and also feeling small, kind of along those lines. How do you define success both on the, you know, like racing circuit and off just in life? I guess like the the simple answer that applies to both those questions would be I describe success as working really hard and trying as hard as you can at something, whether or not like the outcome is there doesn't necessarily define like success to me. If I go to New York, for example, and do everything I possibly can and run as hard as I can and get to the finish line and know that I could not have gone even one second faster and I'm like 16th, like, so be it. That's not what I want by any means. I have much higher goals than that, but you know, like what else could I have done? If that was the best I can do on the day, that's the best I can do. And I think I've gotten better at like accepting that's that uh, the fact that that's the case sometimes that sometimes your best isn't uh, good enough and it's okay. It can just be your best. So I would say that is sort of how I would define success. And that's a little bit harder to harder to define outside of running. But I still feel that that's a good barometer of success. If you're trying really hard at something, whether that's, you know, school or um, a job or running or a relationship, um, trying really hard is, is a form of success in my mind. Yeah, that's good. What is, now we're going to do our end of the podcast questions. Okay. What is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Professionally, I would love to make an Olympic team. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably my biggest goal at the moment. And then personally, you know, personally, I'd love to go, I'd love to go backpacking through Yellowstone. I've been there a few times, camped in the camping like areas. Um, but I think it'd be super cool to kind of get into the backcountry area a little bit. Do you like to camp? I do. I like camping a lot. Does your girlfriend like to camp? I think I, I think I, uh, I got her on the camping train when we started dating. So, um, you know, I think she likes it now. Okay, good. I, yeah, my husband, like he would camp, but he's not like a big camper, but it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, 
sorry. Like if that's what you want to do, I'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want a bed. Sleep is just way too important right now at this point in my life. Yeah. I, I hear you. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's draining. But Certainly some people can sleep in the tent just fine. I just, I, I yeah. feel like I would just lie awake all night and that would then cause me anxiety. <laughs> yeah. The key is naps. That's true. The crazy thing about, about camping is that the normal rules of life just don't apply. You can wake up and eat a Pop-Tart and eat a beer, drink a beer for breakfast. And then you can take a nap at 5 p.m. And somehow it just all works out. It's oh, just all okay. okay when you're camping. Okay. Maybe I don't know those rules. That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there are no rules when you're okay. camping. Okay. No rules. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to pack my Pop-Tarts next time I maybe go camping. Definitely. Um, and, and my kids are, we have four boys. And not that girls don't mm-hmm. go camping. But I'm just saying, like, I do foresee it in my future as my kids get a little bit older. Because little boys think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it is. It is very cool, Lindsay. <laughs> I have to I have to engage in that at some point. Okay, yeah. what's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Uh um I think getting getting second at the US 25K champs last year or I mean last spring uh probably the race I'm most proud of. I think I went for it the most and took the most risks and um uh probably was able to endure the most pain of any other race in my career. I think that was probably probably from there. What's up with the 25k distance? I feel like that's such a strange distance. It is, yeah. Um, you know, I mean there's only one like real 25k race on the circuit every year and it's it's in Grand Rapids and I haven't I went last year for the first time and uh it is a strange distance cuz you come through like a half marathon mm-hmm. and it feels like you should be done mm-hmm. and you have two and a half miles. So Ugh, that's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have hopes of, um, I'm sure you do. I don't know why I'm asking, but your half marathon PR is uh Do you have hopes of knocking that down? Yeah, definitely. I think. What kind of question um, is that? I don't know. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, uh, when I ran 62.18, I was on 61.30 pace for like a really long time and just faded in the last few miles. And I certainly think in a situation where I could get really tuned up for a fast half marathon and it wasn't like a race in a bigger season like this last one was I think I can run uh in the low 61 minutes or maybe even under under 61 minutes Ooh, that's exciting and then you have to think about breaking 60 yeah now let me let me get into the 61s um well and that's something you talked about in that blog post too the the periodization process and how you can't always be at a hundred percent fitness. And so that's tough as a marathoner now because you're putting your eggs in that basket. And so then to get in like real good half marathon shape, that's gotta be tricky to figure out, well, when, when am I going to work that in? Yeah. And I I think I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm like 100% a full blown marathoner yet. Like I'm a marathoner right now because I'm running the New York city marathon, but, um, this spring, if I if I don't run Boston, I could very well be a half marathoner, or I could very well try to get in really good 10k shape um, before going back to the marathon at some date in the future. So, I don't necessarily see like the marathon as a permanent state of being. Okay. It's like a a transient affliction, if you will. <laughs> yeah, and you're and I remember, yeah, you're so young still, so there's so much time to play as well. But if you do go to Boston, you're not running that 5K. If you go, you're going to run the marathon. Yeah. That's what you're saying? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, all right. So if you could have coffee or cocktail with someone fun, motivating, inspiring, anybody, who would it be that you haven't yet? Yeah. Living or dead? Living or dead. Living or dead. Okay. Um, you know, I might, I might choose Jack Kerouac. I like his books a lot. Who is that? The, I like, he wrote uh, The Road, or On the Road, sorry, and Dharma Bums. Okay. On the um, Road? Yeah, On the Road. Not The Road by Cormac McCarthy. On the no, Road. No, although I, I love Cormac McCarthy as well. Um, okay. Read quite a few books by him, but uh, but no, I think getting coffee with Cormac McCarthy would be a little bit too depressing. <laughs> I imagine he'd go on long monologues about the like pointlessness of human existence. And I can't read his books. I, I have to, <laughs> my, I have to read uplifting or fun, easy reads. I can't, that's yeah. my escape. Yeah. 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 I got into his books with a book called all the pretty horses. Um, when I was in college and I've read a few things, they are, they're weird and they're, they're sad. The Jack but, um, books, the Jack Carrick books. No, sorry. The Cormac, Cormac. McCarthy books. Okay. Jack okay. Kerouac is, a. Uh, they, they have like, tinges of sadness but he seems for the most part to be um kind of jack kerouac is eccentric enough where he doesn't they are everything is interesting to me at least uh because of his eccentricity it's not necessarily like you don't get bogged down by the sadness um so yeah i would say jack kerouac it would be it'd be strange but i think it would i would enjoy it for at least one coffee but is he dead or living right now I would imagine that he's dead. He did a lot of drugs in the fifties, so it seems like his his time he, is up. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it seems unlikely he's still kicking. <laughs> um, if you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? I guess it would. I would say, be present wherever you are. That would be my my message. Be present wherever you are. That's good. Yeah, that helps with the anxiety too. Be present, definitely for sure. Mm-hmm. What's the best, most recent book you've read? I would say the best book I've read recently is uh, Endure by Alex Hutchinson. I love that. That was fascinating. Man, I couldn't get through it. Really? Oh, my goodness. I, I tore through it. It was like three days. I, well, I would I would read it. I read on the treadmill sometimes, and I just, I was so bored. Maybe I'm just yeah. not, maybe I'm not smart enough for that book. I've actually talked about it quite a bit on this podcast because I picked it. I, so I have a monthly book club with this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I picked that book for one of the months and I think about like 20% of the people reading it dropped out because it was just, I don't know. I thought there was going to be more, um, a little more story to it and a little less science, which I mean, that's what he was going for. So he did good, but, um, yeah. I needed a little bit more, like there were a couple pieces where parts where he did go into some storytelling and I liked that a lot. But mm-hmm. when it got too meaty with like the VO2 max and stuff, I was like, all right, I, I haven't been in school for 10 years for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I can I can see how those details might bog someone down. Um, but I liked it a lot because because it was very the antithesis of all of Malcolm Gladwell's books where Malcolm Gladwell might try to like oversimplify things and mm. um, kind of overstate certain facts and certain um, conclusions of, of researchers for the sake of like an easy, simple book to read and having a coherent message. Um, Alex Hutchinson's thesis was kind of like, well, we know some stuff, but we don't know everything. And th- it, this is a confusing field of study, which I appreciated because yeah. I feel like you don't get that very often. Yeah. Do you watch any shows? Do you watch TV at all? I do. Yeah. Quite a, you know, 
Oh, I have a fair amount of free time. Well, this is true. You need to put your feet up a lot when you're not training. You need to lay lay around. So what are you watching? Mm -hmm. Um, I just started a show called I'm Sorry, which is on Netflix. Um, It's kind of like a curb your enthusiasm, but... Um, Wait, is it this the, this suburban housewife? Yeah, yeah, it's very curb your enthusiasm esque, but kind of from the perspective of a of a woman. I just um, watched my first episode of that last night. It's so good. I love it so much. I fell asleep. I'm like six episodes in, really. No, but like because I was tired, but like it was good. Yeah. Like I was laughing, and I thought it was really funny. Like she kept saying the f word, and that old lady kept hearing her, and. Yeah, yeah, very Curb Your Enthusiasm-esque. Yes, that's why I liked it so much, because I love that show. Yeah, it was like if like if Curb Your Enthusiasm and Veep had a baby, mm. it would be this show. Which And I love both those shows, and so, uh, yeah, I'm Sorry is great. That's good, yeah. And so the, the main character, that mom, she's like the Larry David of the show. Like, she keeps sticking her foot in her mouth and doing stuff. Yeah, 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 definitely. That's good. Yeah, it's I forget her name. It's Andrea something, or uh-huh. at least her character is Andrea. And I want to say that the actual that woman also writes and produces it. And I th- I'm, think her real name in real life is Andrea as well. But you know, I don't, I'm not entirely sure. But I think she's so funny. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because we just started it, and I I fell asleep because I was tired. But I was like, I think I'm gonna <laughs> like this show. So now you've given me hope that it it actually is really good, and I wasn't just like slap happy laughing because I was tired. No, it was great. What else you got? Anything else you're watching? Um, that's kind of the one I'm like watching, watching right now. And then if I'm like doing something like and just have Netflix on in the background. Um, I just perpetually rewatch the first four seasons of Office. So if I'm like stretching or doing core or rolling out or something, that just one of the first four seasons of the Office is on, so that I can like half listen to it and get all the jokes, but uh, don't have to like completely pay attention to. That's awesome. To it. Yeah, you definitely yeah. can't watch post Michael Scott Office. Not worth. No, it. I I just watch basically until Jim and Pam get together. Yeah. Sorry, spoiler alert. But like, <laughs> honestly, if that's a spoiler. You deserve to have that spoiled for you. I was so invested in that relationship in college. That's when that show was popular. I think it was like the end of, or like right when I graduated college. And I was so invested in them getting together. So once they got together, <laughs> it was like, well, what now? You're, what I wanted happened. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. All right, Scott. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me just three weeks out from New York. I know I know you say you have a fair amount of time on your hands, but you also have a really big thing going coming up. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. It was fun. All right. Best of luck. And um, everybody, put Scott on your New York tracker and track him and see how he does. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening today. Thanks, Scott, for coming on the show. You guys can follow Scott on Instagram. It's sfobs, S-F-A-U-B-S. And you can find him on Twitter as well, Scott Fobbs add him to your tracker and track him for the New York City Marathon. You guys can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. You can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Go check out PrepDish, prepdish.com slash another and use the code another for a free two-week trial. Check out Four Sigmatic, foursigmatic.com slash another and use the code another for 15% off your order. And if you are looking to talk to someone, I recommend BetterHelp for their counseling services with their licensed therapists. 
not a crisis line, and you can start communicating within 24 hours. And we've got a special offer for our listeners. Try BetterHelp free. Just go to betterhelp.com slash another to get started. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Good luck to everybody who is gearing up for New York and entering the taper mode if you haven't already. I cannot wait to cheer for you. And hopefully I'll see a lot of your faces at the live show. Have a great Friday. Have a great rest of the weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.